move on to This Pours On Me. And this week, Randy, I, I, I apologize. Um, we we should have gotten this out to you, uh, but, you know, you might have some of this on hand. Um, Paul provided the pour this week, and uh, it is a Dusty Turkey 101, um, which I know that uh, <laughs> from watching um, and listening to both, I did both, uh, the, ep- the 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 episode that you did with your wife the 25th anniversary by the way happy anniversary to you both um but uh Jerry and I took a, a, a an interesting approach to this as well and we we this is this is today's wild turkey 101 actually mine is uh it has the uh the label on it as opposed to the embossed bottle and then uh this is the dusty and I'm looking at them both right now. Look at the color difference in those. My God, <laughs> look at that. That is ridiculous. So, um, um, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna do a little side by side here and see the the difference. Um, Paul, uh, tell us a little bit about this dusty Turkey, if you would. Yeah. So this is a bottle I was gifted by a good friend of mine, Mr. Wolf. Um, it's a 1992 wild Turkey one Oh one. Uh, 92 was the year that they switched from the eight year age stated, which this bottle is. This is the last year, I think in the middle of 92 is when they switched it over to, um, what do they call it? Uh, old number eight brand now, instead of age stated at 90 at, uh, eight years. Um, now it's pre- presumed to be between six and eight years, but one ones non-age stated, um, this bottle had a, a date in that in that era they did the date the stamp on the back and this was august 17th of 92. um the cork broke obviously right when i opened it so i had to decant it um that's why this bottle is empty but um it's austin nichols um austin nichols was formerly on the label of um all the wild turkey brands until mm-hmm. i believe 2011 i think when they started to de-emphasize that um this bottle is fantastic. I mean, it's, we were just comparing the new 101 color alone versus the old stuff. And I mean, it's such a dark, I mean, it's, it's like night and day. It's so much darker. Um, it's got that, you can tell you're drinking an old bottle. It's, it's the color is just dark amber. I mean, it's, and the, it's got that dusty, like molasses, vanilla, funky yeah. nose. Um, and the the taste for me is like I mean it's like what bourbon should be. It's that old vanilla, brown sugar, honey, maple, just like all the notes that you want to find in a good whiskey. And they're so pronounced. It's such a sweet pour. Um, it's got great finish. It just lingers. I mean, it's the bottle I wish. Like if I think we've said before, if I could go back in time, I'd be bringing the truckload of this stuff back with me and just sitting on it because this is they were making good whiskey back then. I wish somebody could tap into it and produce the same kind of same kind yeah. of spirit nowadays and capture this taste profile. I, I for the life of me, I can't understand why, why they can't same yeast strain, same barrels. I mean, finding something like this off the shelf today is very hard to do. And if you do, it's going to be several hundred dollars when this bottle was probably less than 20 bucks in 1992. So what do you guys think? 
Uh, by the way, this is the closest I could get. <laughs> hey, hey. I'm That's I'm out of your age statement. That's awesome. I'm out of my eight year age stated dusty turkey. Um, but I have this from Japan. Okay. That's, that's what I thought. That's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. So, um, and then do you have, I'm guessing you probably have a standard wild Turkey hanging around. Um, oh, it's almost all I drink. <laughs> so, uh, I don't, I don't know if you heard the conversation that we were having a minute ago. Um, but wild Turkey was my, that was my first love wild Turkey one-on-one yeah. as far as bourbon goats. Um, and and I still love it to this day. I always have a bottle, uh, and, and I've got 400 plus bottles, which is I'm looking at your I, and I've seen your collection many times because I've watched your your YouTube channel and and all this. And so my 400 measly bottles is nothing compared to what you've got there. But um, you know, uh, I can't I can't knock this bottle. You know, this is this is a newer bottle. Um, I don't, I don't know when I got this bottle, but it was right before they stopped doing the actual, you know, the big paper label on the front and started doing the embossed bottles that they're doing now. And there's, I don't have anything bad to say about anything that they produce, period, it, especially the Wild Turkey brand. I love Russell's. I, I love it. Yeah, but you can see, I can see your glasses right there and there's a there's, decided color difference. Um, and, doesn't this look darker? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a regular 101 that's not is it really okay yeah but i mean this this is a modern you know japanese release right so um you know who knows maybe those barrels were at a lower level on the rick house um wild turkey has uh, 15 tiers in their rick house and um you know the top tiers age a little bit faster the bottom tiers um they age a little bit slower and they lose proof while they age. And so you don't see a whole lot of uh, Russell's reserve barrels that are below tier five uh, because the proof can actually drop low enough to get below 110, uh, which is the you know proof of a Russell's reserve barrel uh, or a, a bottled Russell's reserve is 110. Um, and so you don't see a lot that are below five because they get too low and they can't be bottled that way so maybe this was a more level um didn't get as much extraction who knows but um the 92 bottle that you've got there uh would have been fermented in cypress fermentation tanks which they don't do with um, and so when you started saying like why can't they reproduce this flavor um it, there's there's been a lot of changes there's been a lot of changes to the oak that's being harvested for the barrels um, a lot of the oak that's going into barrels now is genetically modified oak that was that, for the purpose of making barrels and a lot of the old uh, barrels were, were natural oak forest um, there's there's an infinite number of things that have changed there was a a, a nutrient pack that they used to put in the uh, in the fermentation process and uh they discovered that there was a carcinogen in it and they stopped doing that and so i i reached out to everybody in the distilling industry that i could to get information about this nutrient pack and it was basically a a, a fertilizer um and and they were 
they, they were adding this nitrogen uh, product, um, but it, it had this other compound in it uh, that, that was a problem. And so there's there, when you really get down to it and you go, well, what's different? Everything, right? Literally everything is different. <laughs> um, I am a firm believer that the whiskey that we're tasting in that 1992 bottle does not taste the way that it did the day that it was released. And I've done some experimentation um, trying to damage whiskeys over time. And um, there is a, a characteristic that comes out when you damage a whiskey that I identify in all dusty whiskey. And so I, I, I've sent out these, these whiskey sample packs where there's a control sample and then there's six different variants of that control that have been exposed to different environments that could have damaged the whiskeys. And I'm talking like luminaries in the whiskey world, right? Like Nancy, the Nelly and uh, Dan, the CEO of Barstow Bourbon Company and um, the, the founder of MV and, you know, like that everyone knows have tasted these whiskeys and they send in their results. And what I found was super interesting is that one of the treatments to the whiskey created a dusty flavor. And when people from the industry who are in the production side of things tasted that whiskey, they rated it very poorly. And when whiskey tubers taste that whiskey, they rate it higher than the control sample. And what that teaches us is that as whiskey enthusiasts and consumers, if somebody comes to you and goes, oh my God, I have this epic bottle of 1992 Wild that's from the Austin Nichols era and they don't make whiskey like this anymore. I don't know why, it just says that this is what, this is the greatest thing ever and you taste it. Your brain develops a neural pathway that tells you that that's what epic whiskey tastes like. So every time you taste an old dusty whiskey, you go, well shit, they don't make it like this anymore. But it kind of turns what you're actually tasting is damage. But you trained your brain to perceive damage as quality because it's from that era that was supposed to have the greatest whiskey ever that, you know, when it was being ignored. And so I can't for the piece to come out that's based on that. I have a few uh, tasters that still have to get the results in. Um, but I, I think that what it will, will reveal is that there's nothing wrong with these old dusty whiskeys. I have a bunch of dusty whiskeys over here. I've got birth year bottle from 1978 when I was born and all that stuff. Uh, but they all have a similar flavor characteristic to them. And it, it tastes, it's a little bit musty. It's a little bit like a dank basement, a little bit of like um, graphite, you know, there's like this. Um, and, and you can develop your palate to just be like, oh, this is the shit. This is what good whiskey tastes like. Um, and then you give that same whiskey to a master distiller, like, you know, um, who was someone that, that, that didn't like it that much. Uh, the master distiller for roses. And he was like, oh, this doesn't taste right. Right. And then I give that same whiskey to some whiskey tuber and they're like, this is the, this, this made it way better. <laughs> and it's like, how, oh, that's why it's how you train your palate. So I, I just find that super interesting. But I do love Dusty Turkey, for sure, for sure. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, no, I'll be looking forward to that to learn how I can damage some of my own whiskey then. <laughs> I don't want to no, say and, we, still have, we still have tasters, but when we stop recording, I'll tell you how to make it taste good. <laughs> let me uh let, let me go ahead and say for for my co-host here that uh you know if you need uh more evidence or or, or more tasters, let us know. We're all on board. <laughs> but right. uh yeah, we we uh, Jerry and I went to Four Roses this past June, and um, some of their fermentation tanks that they're still using there. I don't remember if it's Cypress or not, but they still have some wooden fermentation tanks in production uh, to this day. And um, Four Roses, uh, for better or worse, is one of my favorite distilleries out there. My my personal favorites: Wild Turkey, Four Roses, MGP. Because, damn. And, um, um, I, I catch a lot of grief over this, you know, we, we, this is, this is going back to, you know, uh, bullying and, and, and whiskey trolls and things. I love Buffalo trace products the, you know, they're, 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 I'm not a fan of their marketing strategy, but, uh, their, their products, I mean, they make good whiskey. They do. So, um, but, uh, uh, Wild Turkey and and Heaven Hill. That's that's my that's my other one. Um, I'm a I'm a big Heaven Hill fan. But this this is Wild Turkey. That when I started drinking Wild Turkey, um, in let's see, what twenty years ago, so two thousand three, two thousand two, something like that. Um, it still had Austin Nichols on the label, and I don't know if it's a um a placebo effect or not, but something in my brain changed when they took Austin Nichols off the label. Mm. Um, so that is a thing that I, that I do look for. And, um, Jer or I'm sorry, Paul, um, I was talking about in a, in a group chat that we're both part of how I, you know, was a big fan of the Austin Nichols era. And all of a sudden there was a sample box that showed up. Um, and there were some 80 proof Austin Nichols and that was a couple of years ago. Um, and it was a bottle this size, a sample bottle. And, um, I, I had no idea where it came from and a mutual friend of ours, um, told me, Hey, this was Paul that sent this. Cause there was no return address on there. And I babied that sample bottle. I just finished it last night. Um, as a matter of fact, but, and, and only because in the box that, that this came in, he sent me another bottle like this of the 80 proof as well. And I, I personally like the higher proof, uh, stuff myself. I generally don't drink on a regular basis, anything below a hundred proof simply because the more water you add, the less flavor you have as far as I, as far as what I like. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I babied that bottle and I, I I finished it off last night because there was another and, and it's fantastic, especially for an 80 proof whiskey. Holy shit. It is so good. Um, but this is liquid candy. Uh, this this wild turkey 101 that he sent out to us. And um, I tasted it when it first came in just to, you know, on my tongue just a little bit. And uh of course, Paul's had it because he, he owns the bottle, but I, I was texting between the three of us and I told Jerry, I said, I demand that you open the bottle right now and taste it um, because it's life-changing because 
It is. It's, um, it's 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 a it's a, a truly fantastic whiskey. I mean, there's so many good whiskeys out there. Right. I mean, right now, because of the bourbon boom and everything else, there's a glut of fantastic whiskeys on the market. Um, and there's some bad ones out there still, of course. Um, but there's you know there's there's more good whiskeys than there are bad whiskeys on the market right now, and it's. You know, there and there's some some newer brands. Uh, one of my personal favorites, a newer brand, is Smoke Wagon. I love it. I love the uncut, unfiltered. It's fantastic whiskey, and, and you know, to me at least, for what I like. But this is, I mean, I, I'm with Paul. If this this they captured lightning in a bottle back when, and all of a sudden it's you know things have changed. I mean, clearly you can see. You know, just physically on the surface, there's a, a color difference right there. It's just, and that doesn't necessarily equate to good whiskey, but in this instance, certainly there's there's a decided difference between this newer and the older. And, um, you know, I, I it th this is what whiskey should taste like. Like Paul said, this to me is what bourbon should taste like. Now, far be it for me to correct jimmy russell because he's he's jimmy russell <laughs> i'm 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 not jimmy russell i have had my hand in making bourbon um I, I briefly worked at a distillery very briefly um and then you know uh i've 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 made bourbon elsewise i guess is a is, is a way to say it um i'm not jimmy russell i'm not eddie russell I'm not those guys. Um, so I'm not going to tell them their business because this is, this is still a quality whiskey. If you can go buy this bottle or a bottle like it for 25, 30 bucks every day. Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. This is my first love. It remains um, one of my favorite whiskeys on the market. And I, I think that people should be chasing this over you know chasing things on the secondary market and a lot of those folks are chasing that so that they can buy it and resell it themselves and you know whatever i'm a capitalist at the end of the day um so if if you can get those high dollar prices for those bottles salute you know do what do what you're gonna do um but if you're a whiskey enthusiast a true enthusiast a lover of whiskey um this this has to be something that you have on your shelf at all times that's just, I mean, that's just my opinion for what it's worth. Yeah. And I'll, so I'll going, tell you one, one of the other big yeah. reasons for your color difference is the barrel entry proof is, is creeped up in wild Turkey uh, since 1992. And so uh, this modern release has a lot more water in it that never saw exposure to the barrel than that 1992 bottle. Did because if uh, I think and this is going off memory so don't kill me if I'm wrong but I think the barrel entry proof back then was 107 I think um, might have been 110 but anyway over the years it's it's crept up um, and it makes sense it's more efficient you store more whiskey if you put it in the barrel at a higher proof but the problem is you're selling product that didn't see aging and exposure to the barrel because when you proof it down who point is you got to add more water if it's if it's higher up 
And uh, way back in the day, that's one of the main differences between modern releases is they had lower barrel entry proof and they didn't add as much water. So you're going to get more color on those, those older bottles. All else being that's, that's one thing I found on my whiskey journey is uh, the, the whiskeys I tend to, to levitate to has been, from what I found out, the lower entry proofs, the uh, maker's mark has been, that was my, my first love um, rabbit hole. Me and Adam went there last year. Big fan of them. They're, I think, 110. Um, there was another one. Uh, Michter's is low entry proof and i've been loving that what was that wilderness trail wilderness trail is they do low entry i haven't had much of their stuff yeah i haven't done much i haven't seen much of them around here i've tried them i've liked them um i don't own a bottle so i haven't really been able to dive deep into them Uh, yeah but i think they have one of the lowest barrel entry they have two barrel entry proofs but some of their stuff is like a really super low barrel entry proof uh for I mean, those are two gentlemen that are like, yeah, we don't care about efficiency. We care about good taste of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and here they are, they sold for $650 million. So they were on to something. So when they, when they did that, uh, interesting story. Uh, my dad used to work with Shane Baker. Uh, well, let me, let me clarify that. They used to work for the same company and my dad knew him in passing. And, um, he made a comment that made me think that maybe he had a shot at getting in on the ground floor and maybe, maybe I misread it entirely, but he, what he said was it's when they sold and he was like, I got into the wrong business or something along those lines. After (laughs) he had told me that he worked for, you know, he was like, I, you know, and I was like, and, and it left me thinking, dad, did you, did you have the chance to get in with, and, and that would have been, so, so my great grandfather, um, he, he was, uh, he worked for Al Capone adjacent. Like he, he was, you know, um, he was a constable and, uh, in Chicago and, and, uh, he did some things and, and my dad actually has a gun that was gifted to my grandfather by Al Capone. And then my grandfather worked at, uh, MGP before it was MGP, um, when it was still Seagram's and, uh, you know, I clearly bourbon is, is a thing for, for me. It's, it's a, it's, it's a big thing for me. Otherwise I wouldn't be sitting here involved in this podcast right now. And, you know, all the bottles that I have in the house, my, my wife is, angry at me every time I bring a new one home because there's no room left in the house for me to put another bottle. Um, I, I buy it faster than I drink it. And so that, that one generation, my dad's like, dad, did you, did you have that opportunity? Now he, he hasn't said that. Um, but there was, there was something there. And, uh, um, I, you know, if, if that was the case, I kind of wish that he jumped on that. Um, and then I actually went through a, a program at UK, um, for distillation and um pat heist did a <laughs> he did a, a a virtual talk to uh one of the classes or no actually i'm sorry he did a, a virtual talk through the the jim beam uh symposium um because the program is coupled with the jim beam institute and uh he was telling a story about how he uh he 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 went to test drive a mercedes and it was this older woman that owned it and whatever. And 
he took it on a he took it on a test drive and he ended up stuck in a cornfield and he had to call her and be like um i'm stuck in a cornfield in your car <laughs> can can you come get us out <laughs> and it was just he uh they were showing pictures of him tailgating at uk games and you know his big long beard and whatever um uh, i got a lot of respect for those guys they they do like you said they do things their way how they want to do it um it's a, it's, it's a, it, it's a pretty cool thing that got going on there down there and they make some good stuff. And, uh, you know, Pat is a, a mad scientist with those yeast strains and whatever he's, he's got things that, you know, will never be seen again if it weren't for him. So it's, you know, uh, that that's great. It's good stuff. Um, Jerry, if you, if you, uh, if you need some wilderness trail, I'll have to get you some down there. Um, yeah. I've had a couple single barrel. Well, what was it? Two or three. I've sampled uh, single barrels, and then at least one of their standard products um, from our local whiskey bourbon group that people go travel around and pick up barrels or bottles. Um, I've enjoyed them, but like I said, I haven't been able to grab a bottle myself and sit down and actually get deep dive into it. So that's going to be. That'll be one that I'll be looking forward to eventually. So, Randy, you said that uh, wild turkey is pretty much all you drink, and um, that's a little tongue-in-cheek, obviously, because uh, there are many, many bottles there behind you. So, um, you know, before we let you go, I just want to ask you, what what are some of your favorites? What are, what are um, other than wild turkey, obviously, what, what are some of the things that um, – that you seek out um, some of the things that, that you really, really enjoy. That's a, I, I get asked this question a good bit. Um, <clears throat> my anniversary, you know, it's my brother's, my deceased brother's birthday. It's, you know, something special. Um, number one on the list probably be George C. Stack. That's my favorite whiskey of all time. I love it. Number two on the list would be, um, William LaRue Weller. Uh, number three, it's probably uh, E.H. Taylor Barrel Proof, which is George C. Stagg, just younger. Sure. Um, number four is probably Four Roses Limited Edition. And number five is probably Buffalo Trace um, Blanton's uh, Straight from the Barrel. Like bourbons. Uh, wise so those are you know some of my faves i have all those bottles although my wing weller is empty right now unfortunately um but i don't drink those unless and even on a special occasion i usually don't drink them i've had them so many times i know that they're good but the reality is that if you drink whiskey long enough you start to realize that the delta between george t stag and a wild turkey 101 there's a delta but it's not enough to make the drinking experience special. Sure. What is who you're with and what you're talking about, right? What you're thinking about. That's, that's what makes it special. And so you just have to have a good whiskey for that, right? You don't have to have the greatest whiskey in the world. And so um, I drink a lot of wild turkey one. 
I drink a lot of Evan Williams bottled and fun. I drink a lot of Knob Creek Nine Year. And I do a lot of single barrel selections with someone say whiskey. And so I'll kind of, you know, rotate through those depending on how in demand they are. But all of my rare bottles, I don't drink them unless somebody's here with me and I'm trying to make a memory, you know, but that's, that's me. Um, that's what whiskey's for. I, I, I told, uh, I told, uh, Freddie Johnson when I finally got to interview him, I've had, I've had three private recorded meetings with Freddie. Two of them were published. And I told him his part in me kind of inspired me. And there was one day, I don't remember what it was or why it inspired it, but I was thinking about a bottle being empty. And I was thinking about how I only drank that bottle with like friends. And I thought, well, that box is empty. It's filled with memory. And so I told, I told Freddie that he inspired me. And I tell people there's no such thing as an empty bottle. It's either filled with whiskey or it's filled with memory. And uh, so that's, that's, that's always been my way. Uh, there's plenty of good whiskey out there you can buy on the shelf. And I mentioned a few that I like, and those aren't the only ones. But when I remember a whiskey drinking experience, it's probably not because the whiskey is so much better than tasted. Probably works with what we're talking about. What that meant to me. And that's why whiskey is so good. So, uh, you know, you're, you're pretty vocal about your brother. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to pry, but did he have a favorite whiskey? Did he did he have a favorite uh, or a favorite uh, libation? I guess as it were. Oh yeah, uh, it's Jack Daniels. Okay, okay. <laughs> I I'm not one to shy away from Jack Daniels either. Uh, I've got you two know, barrel proof right back there behind me. Um, that's some damn good whiskey. So I um my my. My story was I didn't really drink till I was about 28. And um, I I had gotten married young. I got married when I was 20. Um, and we were real involved at our church with the youth. And, you know, leadership was like, hey, you probably shouldn't have alcohol around. You're not that much older than the kids you're working with. And, you know, they'll get confused. I think it's okay for them. So we just didn't drink. But when I got older and I had kids, I had some friends that uh, they drank. And we went on vacation with them. I said, man, I don't even know what I like. I mean, I don't know if I like alcohol. So everywhere I went, I just ordered different things that I heard in movies and on television shows. And I decided I liked whiskey. So I went to the liquor store and I walked down the aisle and I picked the bottle based on its name and its bottle shape. I got a bottle of 17 and I'd forgotten about that until I interviewed Danny Kahn, who was the master distiller at the time at 1792. And I was trying to tell him about my history with the brand. I was like, oh, shit. Like, 1792 <laughs> is the first bottle of whiskey I ever bought, right? Um, <laughs> but over time, I realized, like, Jack Daniels is, is fine. So I started buying Jack Daniels. My brother was uh, was in 
uh, training. And uh, he came home uh, on leave for one weekend and he wanted to go out and the movie Borat had just come out. And so I told him like, hey, let's go watch Borat. And uh, I was like, I drink a little bit now. And he goes, what do you drink? I said, Jack Daniels. He's like, you got me shit. He's like, that's like all I drink is Jack Daniels. And I was like, well, we found the same thing, brother. You know? <laughs> and so uh, we, he came over to the house and we had a pour together. And then I filled up a flask and we went. And we had a drink at a bar outside the place. And we went in to watch Borat. And I went in and asked the little girl that works at the concession stand if she'd give us glasses with ice but no water in it. And she did. She knew what we were doing. We went and watched Borat and we drank whiskey. And uh, just had the time of our lives, you know, like my favorite memory of my brother that night. And uh, we left and, and I was a little bit drunk because I wasn't used to drinking. I didn't drink that much back then. And uh, he said, I can't take you home drunk like this. Like I got, I'm, he's like, there's a tradition when you're drunk, you go to Waffle House and you get hash browns. And uh, you have to figure out how you like your hash browns when you're drunk. But he's like me, I like them smothered, covered and chopped. And I'm like, yes, I don't know what I need <laughs> and he was like, all right, well, we're going to go to Waffle House. We're going to figure out what kind of hash browns you like. And uh, so we we go to Waffle House, and, the, and and I'm drunk. And the waitress walks up, and she says, um, she's like, hello, my name's Lola. I'm going to be your server tonight. Um, forgive me if I'm a little bit slow, but I got run over by a dude yesterday. Anyway, um, can I take your order? <laughs> this is my first time being drunk, like, in public. Like, it's my first time, like, being out drinking. Uh, and it's with my brother, who's, like, he's an expert at this point. And I'm looking at him, like, is this is what it is always like? Because, like, I totally get why y'all drink every week. <laughs> this is... And and she's she's just, like, ready to move on. Like, can I get your order? And I'm like, hey, uh, you can't walk up and say some crazy stuff like that and then, like, not explain. Like, you got run over to a dually? Like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, yeah, you know, when we work here, somebody leaves, they don't pay their check. It comes out of our tips. And so this guy tried to run his check, and I ran out to try and stop him, and I stood behind his dually, and he just backed right over me. <laughs> Luckily, I was between the wheels, so he didn't run over me, but he did knock me down. And I'm looking at my brother like, oh, my God. Now, you guys are not ready for this, okay? But you asked about my brother in the real and I told this story at his funeral, just so everybody knows, okay? Right after this chick tells me she gets run over by a dually, and I'm looking at him like, is this what drinking's like? Like, this is this is amazing. And like, am I hallucinating? Like, I didn't think it was a hallucinogen. I thought like it like loosened you up. Like, what's going on? A little person pimped walked in with two full-size hookers. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> So I look up and he's like, you know, and there's one on each arm, right? And they're dressed in like the mini skirt. It's like 1230 at night or like one o'clock in the morning. He's like late at Waffle House, right? So I look over and I see a little person uh, who's clearly a pimp and he has hookers with him. And I don't even, I don't even with my brother. I don't even, I'm not even like, hey, are you seeing what I'm seeing? I look at my brother and I go, okay we can fight the pimp but i have to go to the bathroom first <laughs> and he's like okay so i get up i go to the bathroom i come back 
and the pimp and the hookers are gone. And I am upset. <laughs> because I don't know why, but we were supposed to fight the little <laughs> pimp in my mind, in my drunken state. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm like, why'd you let him leave? And he's like, let him leave. He's he's a whole ass man. Like he he just he just left. Like he didn't ask my permission. I'm like, well, we were supposed to fight him. And he's like, why were we supposed to fight him? I was like, I don't know. A little person pimp walked into Waffle House while I'm drunk. You have to fight. I don't, I don't, I don't know how this works. I've never done this before. Right. And so then we we I get my hash browns smothered, covered, and chopped. It's a great experience. He thinks it's great I'm drunk because he's never seen me drunk before. So he calls his wife. He puts her on the phone with me and we're driving. And and I'm like, and then Borat was like, you will never get this. You will never get this. And I'm like telling all the stories about all the crazy stuff in Borat. And then this girl got run over by a dually. And then a little person pimp walked in with two full-size hookers. And then I say, hey, Sean, don't run that red light. There's a cop right there. And then I say to his wife, hey, I got to go. We're going to jail. And I hang up the phone <laughs> because my brother did run a red light right in front of a cop. So the cop, of course, pulls us over. And I'm the drunkest I've ever been in public. So I cannot conceive of him being capable of driving or anything. And so I'm like, yeah, we're definitely going to jail. It's fine. Like, this is what happens when you drink, I guess. That cop pulls us over. My brother jumps out of the car before the cop even comes up to the window and starts cussing him out. Reading him the riot act, telling him, I'm at home on leave from the military. I am airborne infantry and I'm trying to spend time with my brother and you're ruining my night. And the guy's like, Hey man, you ran a red light. And my brother's like, I didn't run that effing red light, you know? And I don't know how, but the cop like, he's like and my brother's drunk. Look at it. <laughs> and I'm hot. You know, <laughs> he's like, I'm just trying to get him home safe. And you're here screwing with me. And he was like, all right, I'll let you off with a warning. And we just drove off. And no one got arrested. And he didn't breathalyze my brother or nothing. And so, yeah, Jack Daniels holds a special place in my heart. Sure. <laughs> my, it's my greatest memory of my brother, right? And then, you know, I eventually I got away from the Jack Daniels old number seven, you know, neat because it's not super complex and, you know, whatnot. It's still good whiskey. It's probably better for mixing, but it's good. And then somebody gave me a Jack Daniels single barrel barrel proof. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this? And they're like, it's Jack Daniels. And I was like, oh, thank God. Um, and literally everything that they've released since then, I'm just like, yes, Jack Daniels is like letting them know what it is. So yeah. huge Jack Daniels fan. I uh, don't drink a lot of old number seven. The only old number seven that I keep around is uh, this bottle right here. It's from 1984. Oh, nice. 90 proof. I found it in my grandfather's closet when he passed away. And uh, I'll have a little sip of that in his honor every so often. But I've got all of the other Jack Barrels, the Coy Hill, the Twice Barrel, the, you know, Real Proof Rye. The, yeah, I got all that. Um, I love Jack. So that's kind of, that was me and my brother's connection point to whiskey. And when I went to Jack Daniels Distillery to do a tour, asked a lot of insightful 
was at the end of 2014 when I was first getting into whiskey. And uh, the tour guide, when we were done, he said, hey, do you have anywhere to be? And I said, no, no, not until dinner, and I got hours. And he said, wait until everyone else leaves, but don't go. And so he, he pulled me aside. You know what a Tennessee Squire is? He said, well, Jack Daniels has kind of the pseudo-secret society. And um, and he said, why 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 are you so interested in Jack Daniels? And my brother just takes And I started to tear up. And I said, well, like it's going to make you a little bit sad. I said, but my brother just committed suicide. He and I connected over Jack Daniels. And he said, well, I want to make you a Tennessee Squire. He said, you, you can't ask to be a Tennessee Squire. You have to be invited in by somebody else. And so he took me to the Squire room, and I met Goose before he retired. Um, and I became a Tennessee Squire, and I've been a Jack Daniels fan ever since. So when people talk shit about Jack, I'm like, oh, one day your palate will develop enough to know that you're full of shit. <laughs> but for now, you can feel like you're superior to everybody else because you're the one that knows that Jack Daniels isn't good, even though it's the greatest selling American. I, I found the Tennessee Squire thing, and I have been trying to figure out how to get in for a long time. And um, that's that's a that's an awesome conclusion to that story. Uh, where Where did... So you said your brother was airborne infantry. Where where did he where was he stationed out of? And where did he do boot? Um, I don't remember, but I remember um, he was at uh, Fort Polk. Okay. Um, I think in Louisiana, and um, they uh, he his unit got um, so we had we had troops in Iraq at the time. And they turned uh, Fort Polk into a Iraqi village. They actually like flew in Iraqi nationals to live in a fake village that they created on the base. Um, was it Fort Polk? Shit. My dad was in prison and he was at a base prison. And he might have been in Fort Polk. But anyway, my brother was someplace at a base where it was a training facility and they had made the the location into a practice you know for people who were about to be deployed so his unit wasn't at risk of being deployed his unit played terrorists and they would bring units in that were about to be deployed to train in this Iraqi vi village and it was my brother's job to kill the U.S. soldiers using the tinge units or whatever the thing is where you, you know they have the laser uh, sensors and so he would have to sleep out in the woods for days at a time and eat bugs while they hunted him with infrared cameras and dogs and stuff like that and uh so i, I think that messed him up uh, a little bit too because he he didn't actually ever see active deployment um, but he he did have to play the role of a terrorist killing u.s soldiers and as well so but yeah i can't remember if it's my dad that was at Fort Polk when he was in prison or if it's my brother when he was in the army. But anyway. Well, 
My thanks to your brother. Um, and everyone like him. Um, it's a uh, Jerry's got that that old number seven <laughs> there. Um, yeah. I uh, like I said, I've got the uh, the single barrel, the the barrel proof, and in honor of, I'm going to go ahead and have a little bit right now myself. Yep. Um, I. Uh, I did some genealogical research uh, a while back and actually found Jack Daniels in my family tree. Um, but I don't know how to sell that. It's like I said, I, you know, the, the whole um, Tennessee Squire thing. Um, so I was like, eh, I don't, I don't, I don't really know how to sell it. So I'm not going to bother, but um, that's a, uh, you know, one of the, one of the one of the greatest stories of the whiskey world, right? Um, Jack Dan, it it wasn't a I don't know how to put it magnanimous end to uh, to to one one of the biggest legends. You know, he, he got taken out by an infection in his toe from kicking a safe. Like I mean, but um, whiskey and and you know, American whiskey and uh, bourbon indeed would not be where it is without jack daniels um so it's uh you know this is yeah i, I see stacy out there uh yeah i see her <laughs> i see uh uh i mean i don't care what anybody says this is there's a reason that brown foreman as a corporation acquired the the brand itself jack daniels because it's not it's not a shitty brand it's it's the most well-recognized American whiskey brand across the world for a reason. Um, and yeah, old number seven may be more of a mixer than anything else. But um, at the same time, if you just want to know what American whiskey tastes like and you're not an American, you're going to head for Jack Daniels. And that's a hell of an, hell of an ambassador brand. Um, it's it's fantastic. It's it's I mean, you know, it, it's and and I don't I don't generally go for the uh, the the artificial banana flavor, which is by and large what I get from it. You know, the the banana runs and things like that. I don't like those things, but in this whiskey, it's great. And those barrel proof rice that they have are fucking fantastic. They are. They're really, really, really good. They're so good. Just wait until the uh, bottom bond ride hits your market. Yeah, I've been keeping an eye out for it, and I haven't seen it yet. I want it so bad. It's it's good. So can I blow your mind for a second? Mm-hmm. So the the banana flavor that you get in Jack Daniels and other Brown Foreman products is not fake banana. It's the original banana. Is that right? So... A lot of Americans don't know this, but um, originally banana was not a commercially viable, like, food product. Right. And there was, have you ever heard the term banana republic? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, there's this dude in the 1800s that realized that there were all of these bananas that were being brought into the United States. Some of them would get too ripe by the time they got here for their purpose. And but they were good for eating. 
And so he hired kids like newsies that used to sell newspapers to sell ripe bananas to people on the streets in New York while they were walking to work because it was a tasty snack that they could eat on the run, right? And that was the start of his banana empire. And it grew and grew and grew, and he became the modern-day equivalent of billionaire. And uh, eventually, civil war broke out in the country where he was getting his bananas. But he was so rich that he hired a mercenary army, went down there, fought both sides, won, set himself up as the leader so that he could secure his flow of bananas. And that's where the term banana republic came from. Because he set up a republic with his Now. So that's gangster. Like, that's, that's fucking, that's gangster. Yeah. <laughs> now, the bananas that he was selling us uh, from the uh, species of banana tree called Gross Michael. And in the 1950s, after banana runts and Laffy Taffy candy had been invented to mimic actual banana flavor, Gross Michael bananas were attacked by some like disease. And the industry had to switch over to the uh, bananas that we eat today, which are called Cavendish. Cavendish bananas don't taste at all like Gross Michael bananas. And so nowadays we get bananas and we eat them and we go, oh, candy banana is fake banana. But the truth is it's original banana. And what we eat today is imposter banana. Okay. And so Jack Daniels is actually real banana. Interesting. Yeah. So just Google Gross Michael. There's only one uh, S in Gross. Uh, and Michael's spelled a little bit weird, but whatever. If you start to type Gross Michael or Cavendish, it'll the whole story comes up. It's like crazy. Um, so that's that's a testament to the human brain, really, um, because there's lots of things that, like, I, I remember when I was a kid, and I was born in '83. But I remember how McDonald's used to taste back in the day before they were using bullshit. And now it, it, it's night and day, right? So, um, and, and, and now the kids today, if they were to eat things that I ate when I was growing up, you know, I, this is a poor example, obviously, but if they were to you, if they were to eat those things back in the day, they would say this tastes like crap and today's is is really good whereas i say what we eat now is garbage and what we had back then when we were growing up that was actually quality product so it's it's the same thing right so if i had grown up eating bananas that tasted that way and then i had you know the bananas now i'd be like this this tastes like shit what is this yeah, yeah. but yeah that that's not the case that's not how i grew up so uh because i you know I, it's kentucky it's it's kentucky for fuck's pathways, sake. baby we form these neural pathways and we that's just, right yeah that's right so and and you know it's funny because you know that's not the first time you mentioned neural pathways just in this conversation and uh i know you're a uh a real estate agent by trade but um, I, I, I think that, um, you know, maybe given different circumstances, you 
could have been a neurologist or <laughs> some, something along those lines. I mean, you're clearly you're clearly a bright guy. Um, there's there's no question about that. Um, I'm not and, smart. I'm just curious. <laughs> there's a very fine line there. Um, very. I've fine had line. my intelligence tested. I'm average, <laughs> but I'm more curious than the average, and I have no quit within me. And so, if you're curious, even if you're not smart. And you have no quit. Eventually, you figure things out. It well, may take me more af- effort than the average person, but uh, I can I can learn about things. And I have to take umbrage with whomever it was that tested your intelligence because <laughs> uh, you know I, I took a Mensa uh, 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 a, a, a Mensa IQ test, and it said that my IQ is 124 which is above average. And I would venture a guess to say that if you were to take that test, you would probably score higher than I did. However, regardless of stupid numbers and whatever, uh, I I think that your intelligence is probably above average. And, um, you know, uh, you're, you're, uh, I, I like listening to you just talk about, especially about whiskey. Clearly it's a thing that you have, delved deeply into um and you have information that i've never heard specifically let's talk about the uh the the banana thing (laughs) i I had never heard that in my life like i said i'm 40 years old i've been drinking whiskey since i was 19 years old i have never in my life heard anything about that um that's that's not something that's that's you know uh, uh widely publicized um that's um that's that's cool you know curiosity is is clearly um a, a good trait to have um there there's there's things to be discovered from folks that are curious so if you want to measure your intelligence by your level of curiosity i would say that you're above average very much so i i appreciate that i we can thank the trolls for that uh because <laughs> i I was doing uh, whiskey reviews and a few of them in a row, I mentioned that I tasted banana in the whiskey and everybody that didn't like that I was doing the reviews started commenting about how I always taste banana. And then it became a thing and people started making memes about me always tasting banana. And so I started doing research to figure out why I taste banana in whiskey. Um, and it turns out it's a compound called the isoamyl acetate. Um, yes. And it's it's uh, from an amyl acid uh, that uh, combines during the aging process, and it makes the compound that makes bananas taste like bananas. But then I started researching, like, why does it not taste like modern bananas? And then I this banana republic thing and all that stuff. So um, maybe the whiskey troll influences and all that. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to defend myself, so I did some research and learned some things, and now I teach people about it. So. Yeah, that uh, that compound. Um, it, if I remember correctly, from I mentioned that I was in that uh, that program in, in UK. It, I, I believe it comes from an interaction with the wood. Am I am I correct in remembering that? I, I know the vanillins come from the wood and things like that, but no, it's from uh, it's uh, amyl acid which is an acid that's thrown off during the fermentation process that's affected by the yeast strain and the fermentation temperature. And um, 
and some categories of, there's lots of different categories of ethanol. And so it's an amyl acid that interacts with, uh, with, uh, alcohol and it, uh, over time will convert into isoamyl acetate. So for instance, if you taste a whiskey that has a, a tropical fruit note, like a pineapple, um, yep. it's usually, uh, isobutyl acetate is what you're tasting. Um, but it's the combination of butyric acid and alcohols and butyric acid by itself, uh, smells like terrible vomit. Yeah. That actually, I, I remember the first time that I ever, uh, it was on a, uh, a discovery channel show, um, where people were fighting against, uh, <laughs> it was a, a, a guy that started Greenpeace and then he, uh, he, he started his own thing and they were fighting the whaling um, industry in Japan and they were throwing butyric acid and ruining the whale meat that these guys would harvest. Right. Um, they would throw bottles of butyric acid at their ships and it was hilarious and, and incredible at the same time. I, I don't know. Um, the sea shepherd is what the, the ship is called, uh, but yes, I'm, I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt, but yeah. Yeah, but butyric acid, um, if you let it age long enough and it, it goes through the esterification process, it will turn into butyl acetate, which tastes like pineapple, right? Um, and so that's one of the interesting things is, is a distiller, especially if you're using a pot still, is, um, you know, what do you do with your fermentation temperatures to throw off the amyl acids that you want and how long are you going to age that product to give it the time for the esterification to take place. Because if you, if you try to bottle it too soon and you've got a bunch of butyric acid in there that hasn't converted yet, it's going to taste like shit. But if you just let it wait, it'll be this beautiful tropical fruit, you know, that people will probably love. And so there's a lot of decisions that have to be made uh, by distillers that you have to know how long you want to age that product while you're in the fermentation process um, to produce something that's going to taste good. And what if you're wrong? You know, you got to age it for eight years and then you get done and it still doesn't taste the way you want it, you know? So that's, that's part of the reason why I don't do negative reviews of brands because I know how much time, energy and effort it they've put into it, you know? And it's like, uh, I've also been shocked by what people like we've turned down a barrel as a as a team for someone said whiskey before because no one liked the samples and then a local liquor store picked up one of the barrels anyway and then all of our members are like posting about how much they love this single barrel and i'm like we thought it was so shitty that we didn't even bring it to you guys and now you guys are posting it in the group and so i've learned over time uh there's a buyer for every whiskey and that my palate is not everyone's palate and give people grace and be honest, tell people what you think, tell people why you think what you think. That way they can evaluate whether or not they agree with you or they disagree with you. Um, but we all got to be friends at the end of the day. Right? So we don't have to be ugly. We don't have to tell people they're wrong. You know, it's your palate. If you taste, uh, you know, bigly chew in the prideful goat, good. If you don't, also good. <laughs> I'm not yeah. mad about it. Exactly. And that's the cool thing is everybody's palate's different and there's something out there for everyone. You just got to find what you like, not be persuaded by other people's tasting notes or recommendations, you know. 
sample through, trade samples with people, you know, go to tastings at distilleries, support local, and you're going to find some some gems that, you know, are definitely out there. Other people might not see it the way you see it, but, you know, it's all about what you like, you know. So that's exactly. the cool thing about whiskey. Yeah, drink what you like. Exactly. All right, Adam, what else you got for us? That's that's it. Um, I appreciate your time very, very much. Um, it's been great. It's been great having you here. Been a really good time. Um, lots of insight, lots of, uh, you know, um, just good times, period. Um, that'll do it for this episode of Bourbon Beards and Belvedere's. Make sure to... Um, Check out all the products that we have reviewed here on this particular episode. Um, Randy, uh, you can you can check him out on uh, Bourbon Real Talk on Facebook, and um, someone say whiskey as well. Um, also, let's uh, let's be sure to check out his his websites. That's LiveStayProject.org, um, BourbonRealTalk.com and pridefulgoat.com um great product great whiskey i love it um also be sure to check out um badassbeardco.com and alecbradley.com you can find uh alec bradley cigars generally generally for a pretty good price on jrcigars.com um as always enjoy your cigars and your whiskey responsibly um cheers cheers guys cheers Thanks. guys <laughs>